Well, good evening, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 46. Our guest today is Eric Campbell, a good friend of mine. We're looking forward to this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, before we start, I should say Rattle's a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995, and we just do it because we love poems and, and poets and putting words to our lives. And if you enjoy it in the same way that we do, please click the like button and share. Tell all your friends to subscribe. That is the only thing we ask. We don't really ask for donations, but we do ask that you share this stuff because poetry is a good thing. And um, now for today's warm-up poem, I just picked, clicked the random button this week. And um, it came up with Brendan Constantine. And this poem, uh, Harping by Brendan Constantine, was written for uh, the... Um, 2018 maybe, maybe 2017 Wrightwood Arts Festival. So there's a broadside that goes with this, but um, I don't think you need it. Let's just give this a listen. This is um, Harping by Brendan Constantine to start it off. Here we go. Harping. How have I walked so far, filled so many hats with leaves, to find a forest where no leaves fall, where each new page grows out upon the last, and the boughs lay down like the arms of cloaks in a cloakroom. The wind speaks up, loses its way, starts over. I drop my arms too and think silly thoughts about prayer. How have I slept so long that I'm this awake? I've so much reading to do, and for once I'm up to it starting with the nearest branch. With bread and a lantern, I could read into the night. With no lantern, I could be night, dreaming aloud for each tree. When was it I decided to stay poor, poor as a library, so I could walk like this? Where did I set my hat? The smell of mud of books wasting in the mud, sweetens into something like straw. It's a red smell, but not urgent. Nothing's urgent here, certainly not these questions. I ask them because even the mouse has a song, and the mockingbird mocks it openly, and the river tends to digress, and hangers chime in a cloakroom, this is the sound the air makes with me. And that was Harping by Brendan Constantine. And the woods that he's talking about are the woods that I'm living in. And believe it or not, um, it is actually really hot up here at 6,000 feet this week. So hopefully um, I got the window open. You're going to be able to hear some ambient noise, some dogs barking in the distance and cars going by, which is unusual for the Rattlecast. But I cannot... Um, I cannot... Uh, the air conditioning doesn't work, reach here into the office, just like the heat didn't, which is why in the winter I'm always wearing a hoodie. <laughs> and um, it is, I'm sweating already. So uh, the windows are open, and uh, it's a beautiful evening here at 6,000 feet in uh, looking, overlooking Los Angeles. And uh, that was Brady Constantine. Um, uh, we interviewed him in rattle number, uh, I don't know, was it 40, 52 maybe? Um, for the Los Angeles Poets issue. He's a Los Angeles poet. You can find more of his work at brendanconstantine.com. That's B-R-E-N-D-A-N-C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-N-E.com if you could follow all that. And uh, he's got he's author of about 10 books. Uh, most recently, it was uh, Dementia, My Darling. And um, 
Bouncy Bounce, a new chapbook that just came out last year. So uh, check Brendan Constantine out at brendanconstantine.com. Now, as I mentioned, today's poet is um, a good friend of mine. And um, I should tell you the story, uh, how I met Eric was just as an editor through submissions. Um, one of the first, the summer that I started working at Rattle, 2004, we got a packet, this thick packet from Papua, Indonesia, and uh, a whole bunch of poems. There were seven of them in the packet, even though we said only to send five, but he sent seven anyway. And um, we loved the whole submission so much that we took all seven poems, if I remember right. Uh, I think, and uh, being my first month or so on the job, I didn't realize that um, how unusual that was to take seven poems all at once. But um, that was unusual. So, and then since then, we became you know friends and, and writing friends and, and uh, talking on the phone a lot, even though he uh, lived in Papua for a long time, moved back to the States about 10 years ago. So here's about Eric Campbell's poems and essays have appeared in New Letters, Tin House, Prairie Schooner, Massachusetts Review, a whole bunch of other places. His first poetry collection, Arguments for Stillness by Curbstone Press, was named uh, by Book Sense as one of the top 10 poetry collections of 2007. Red Hen Press published his second, The Corpse Pose, in the spring of 2016. And his poem, Faith for My Father, circa 1980, is included in the 2019 Pushcart Prize anthology. Um, a high school English teacher for many years. He currently lives in Nebraska. And I was looking at this book. I completely forgot this. But um, here's this new book, a Corpse Pose. Uh, well, new is a relative term. It's like four years old, but Corpse Pose. And I wrote the blurb on the back, which I completely forgot, but it really applies, especially today. This is one of the, I think I, I did one one blurb since this blurb. Um, I think I did a blurb for Wendy Vitalock, and then I said, I'm not going to do blurbs anymore. Uh, so this is my penultimate blurb. And I said, whenever I forget why I fell in love with poetry, I reread Eric Campbell's books. No other poet alive writes with such unerring purpose or with such constant, consistent lyricism and wit. Like the best companions, he finds equal room for both humor and heartbreak. These are desert island poems for a world that feels increasingly like a desert island. They give the gift of knowing that we're not alone. That's what I said back in 2016 about the court pose, and it feels just as uh, maybe even more <laughs> true now than ever. And uh, here he is, Eric Campbell. Hello, Eric. How are you doing tonight? Hey. <laughs> Jeez, I'm, I feel like I'm at my own funeral. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of are, know. maybe. Um, <laughs> this is your, this is your first reading, I think you said, in in years, right? I don't remember the last one. I, yeah, I think maybe at least three, uh -huh. possibly four. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, do you want to start us out with a poem? Uh, I have, and I have to tell everybody that I I lost Eric's first book, Arguments for Stillness. Um, you're going to hear a poem about that. As our uh, prompt poem later, because I actually felt so bad that I couldn't find this damn book that I uh, had a dream about it. And uh, our prompt was your most recent dream. And that was literally my most recent dream was about losing his book. Um, but I love Arguments for Stillness and, um, and I love the Corpse Pose, too. So what do you want to read? I have the digital version of Stillness and I have the physical version of Corpse. Yep. And the digital might not match the physical, so I, but in any case, it's Winchester Mansion. Okay, and what page is that on? I have like the... It's on page 8 in my copy, but it would be maybe... Yeah, it's like 14. Yeah, but if you say... I could find it still, so... Um, and this is fun, I think. Uh, in like the early 2000s, I became fascinated with the Winchester Mansion, of which I've never visited i've never been 
but I've read a lot about it. And, uh, you know, you have you visited? You've been there, haven't you? I actually haven't. But the funny thing is, every time we go, we go up to um, Oregon to visit um, Megan's parents every uh, summer. And I always want to stop there. And I guess it's because of your poem, maybe. Or just there's something about that house that is uh, really cool. So I want to, but we never somehow make it on the way. Uh, maybe this summer will be the summer if we actually go this year. But um, yeah, I, I love, maybe it's just from your poem, but I love um, <laughs> I love reading about the goofy house. Yeah. Well, not to get away. You did, did you go to San Simeon? Is that where you actually went? Or am I thinking of somebody else in California? Uh, somebody else, I think. Okay. All right. Uh, but anyway, it's fascinating. Uh, it's it's the Winchester Mansion because she was as I, I might mess this up, but she was, I believe, the granddaughter of the man who invented the Winchester rifle. Mm-hmm. And in like 1890, she was making the USD equivalent of like 30 grand a day. I mean, just insane money. So she decided to build this house, and and that's enough prelude, I think. <clears throat> It's called Winchester Mansion. If anyone on the outside asked, they would only smile and shake their heads, silently affirming that ghosts, like sins, are a private business. And if there was no logic in the house, there was smooth certainty in the wages. We have years of better than even pay, they would say if pressed. Call it lunatic work if you please. They had all been privy to Mrs. Winchester's genius. Those morning, mornings she would appear with plans scribbled on paper napkins or on the back of dust jackets, last-minute revisions and decisions from the besieged, besieged architect's hand. Can you build this, she would ask the foreman, because it seems impossible enough to me. But more than her money, they respected her sense of dread. The only wealthy woman they'd ever met who thought herself capable of death. The sole patron who commissioned sublime illusions of functionality and encouraged the carpenters to stop making sense. Some days she would lose herself in the house and it was then that she was happiest, finding herself suddenly say on a spiral staircase leading to a ceiling. The carpenters would hear her laughter at lunchtime, the only time the building stopped adumbrating up blind chimneys and off of trap doors, hinting at certain sundry truths that they would later need to leave their lunches again to find. Perhaps no end is the end when building a metaphor, or there is no need for locks when all the doors lead nowhere. The foolish try to escape their sins. The wise give them rooms of their own. Yeah, and I should have mentioned, so she built, and maybe it's not implicit there, but she was so concerned with the ghosts, with the souls of the people that the rifle had had, had murdered, so to speak, that, yeah, she thought they might come back and haunt her, and hence the Winchester Mansion, right? Mm-hmm. Where old doors, it were, I, I was thinking about the other day, I was seeing a house under construction, and you know how before they build a deck, if you have a second level deck, you just have a, a doorway, right, for a while. It opens out into nothingness because there's no deck mm-hmm. there yet. <laughs> and that's what she did on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Just haunted. If it's not a tour, you will kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's actually a house right down the street that's like that. The, the front door, is, and it's on a hill. So it's like a story and a half, like 15 feet, and there's just a door. 
They must go in through the garage. But every time I drive by that house, I think <laughs> I I think of the Winchester <laughs> Mystery House, and that I mean, I guess the spirits yeah. aren't getting in there. <laughs> I have a good friend, Jason. We used to live in the same neighborhood in Lincoln, Nebraska, and there's a few houses that are just astonishing. One of which is called the Ferguson House, and they open it up for ghost tours, but it's just like to get people to go through the house, make a few quid, that kind of thing. But I kind of think like if you own a, if you own anything more than four thousand feet, anyone should be able to just knock on your door and say, "What's up?" <laughs> and crash there for that. <laughs> not not necessarily crash there, but how, how'd you afford that? Yeah, what's yeah. What's what, what the what, what the terraces? You know. Have you have you seen that um? That um, oh, what's it called? That blog that is just the, the um, what do they call it? The um, McMansion.com or something that they just make fun of McMansions. It's hilarious, but yeah, I don't know yeah. what people do with those houses. Um. <laughs> that is all of uh, that. That's most of expanding Nebraska. Is, like, is McMansions it, with like eight different terraces yeah. for no reason, and uh, in like a French yeah. half and like a, <laughs> yep. a Dutch yep. half on the other side, yeah. And of course, there's no trees now. There will be in a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're you have you have about three thousand square feet, but you're about you're a stone's throw from your neighbor. Anyway, <laughs> we can talk about urban planning later. Yeah, we can. Let's 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 solve <laughs> solve the planning problems at some point. But um, so let me ask. I never really asked the story of why the hell you're a poet. How did that happen? Um, uh, was there a time in your life that you um, read something that that spoke to you, and then you wanted to speak back? Is that the story of it, or did you just were you always an English kind of kid? What? How did you become a poet? Well, I was an English kind of kid, but only because um, math was considered like voodoo in my family growing up. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and well, no, let me, let me, uh, geez, damn it. Good question. That's like a lot of, you know, Proust wrote six volumes on this very question, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, uh, loneliness, you know, because when I went to junior high, uh, the idea was to go to where my father taught rather than the school that I was supposed to be assigned to. And I had already had my locker assigned and everything at the at the other school, but I went to a different school that my dad taught at. So I knew no one. I knew no one at all. And so I was too too scared to eat lunch, for example, and I made an arrangement with the librarian, like, can I hang out here during lunch? And I think they thought I was so pathetic, they just let me do it. I would literally get my train and then go to the library. I mean, it was the weirdest thing. Uh, and so, and then I discovered, like, you know, the early pulp people like Edgar Rice Burroughs and Tarzan. And then the biggest, the, 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 the most important aspect of, like, just discovering, like, interiority was uh, discovering old-time radio tapes in that same library. Because hmm. I would have to be there in the morning because <clears throat> my father would get there early and I had to ride with him. So I was in that library for about an hour before the sun came up every day through my junior high years. And uh, I discovered a drawer that no one cared about anymore full of audio cassettes. Hmm. It was like the shadow and all these things. 
So it wasn't like, I, I'd love to say it was Shakespeare, like Hamlet opened up my brain. Uh, Not that he pompous bullshit and it wouldn't be true. It was like Orson Welles and Jack Benny, where you could be directly communicated to with no distractions. Because I'd be in the dark, you know, wearing those 80s headsets that were so huge. Well, kind of like the ones you have now. Mm -hmm. What is, what's old is new again. But so that happened. And then the only thing that I was even remotely good at was a facility with language and, and such. But I don't even think that was any more profound than my peers. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was actually then, okay, so piggybacking off of all that, it was being in high school and reading John Keats and learning about the romantic poets for the first time because I just thought they were absolute rock stars. I mean, I was thinking about this today in the shower, trying to presuppose what questions you would ask me and I would answer poorly. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of touched upon this one, but I thought, I remember being in uh, <clears throat> 11th and 12th grade and my thought process, my, my, my mind, in, in my mind, I thought, why wouldn't anybody want to be like Edgar Allan Poe? Like, you're crazy if you don't want to get to this level. This is so interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't anybody try to be like John Keats if they could, you know, if they had the inclination or something? But again, that's crazy because now I think, like, it'd be really great to be Christopher Hitchens or Feynman or, mm -hmm. you know, whoever. I guess, yeah, inability to do anything else, something that speaks to you, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. Well, it was funny you mentioned the library for lunchtime because I did the same thing. I think Megan did the same thing too. Maybe poets are just people who hated the cafeteria and went to the library instead. Is that maybe a show of hands on our um, God, <laughs> our, our live stream? Yeah. <laughs> did everybody go to the library in high school instead of instead <clears throat> of uh, trying to find the cool table at, in the cafeteria? Because that is what yeah. that is what I did. I spent a lot of time in the library myself. Um, yeah. And, and the, it was just more interesting than what was going on in the in the cafeteria. I mean, that's just all there is to it, you know. Well, you know, to add a caveat to the. Uh to the sadness of this. So we should probably, I, I know we're supposed to read things, but uh, I, I also think I, I felt so badly about not sitting with other people. Mm -hmm. I don't understand the lunchroom, right? I don't, I still don't understand. <laughs> I, 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 I thought, okay, well, I know these folks. They're in my theater class. I know that. Where am I going to sit? This is weird. Uh -huh. So instead, I chose not to sit. Yeah, that was exactly like I didn't know. Uh, I don't know where to sit. Like I was uh, there was the jocks because I did a lot of sports, but I felt weird there. The The conversation yeah. was wasn't um, anything I was interested in. And then there was like the nerd yeah, table. Locker room and you're yeah. like, oh, wait, yeah, exactly. I, like sports, I don't really like misogyny. <laughs> exactly. That's where I tap out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was that was it. And then and then I just found some some poems. <laughs> oh, Ch yeah. Chad Christen said smoking in the parking lot. Yeah, there's probably some of that, too. <laughs> oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, I mean. I'll go back to David Foster Wallace also in terms of the reason for it uh, to, to make you feel less alone. I mean, not to get heavy, but 
for Christ's sake, like especially given today when we, <clears throat> I said to my little brother and, I, and he said I should repeat this, that uh, now that we're all disembodied, we're kind of tired of the bullshit. Uh, I love the idea that no one cares about the Kardashians right now. Mm -hmm. or Right. Yeah, that's true. I haven't heard anybody say, I haven't heard the word Kardashian in so long. It's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? It kind of is. Yeah, yeah actually. So is. And this is arguably one of the worst times in the 21st century. Well, it's got to be the worst time in the 21st century. But, uh, well, 9-11, you know, I mean, we have some bad times in this in this century. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking that wasn't completely global. Yeah, yeah. Because now the COVID's hitting tribal communities. Mm -hmm. and when that happens, it's done. Yeah, yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. So that, that terrifies me to no end. But I think that now we're, we're, we're starting, and I think that's what poetry does. Again, not to get so high at gluten. But the thing is, what is it? I don't even know what it is. I can't tell people what it is. If you were to say to me, define it, I would say, okay, it's it's a lyrical expression of a um, essentially a noun, a person, place, or a thing, hmm. right? And that's about as good as I can do. And for all these bullshit professors trying to taxonomize things, that's as best as they can do too, because you have short stories and you have novels and poetry somewhere in there. Uh, but it's got a more focused, it's got a more focused agenda because you don't have 600 pages, mm -hmm. right? Uh, well, I really veered off your question. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I'm always wondering, like, I just don't understand why we spend the time doing what we do when so few people care about it. <laughs> okay, there you go. I mean, and I, so, so I always want to know, like, why the, why do you do this? Why do I do this? Why do the, the fifty people watching across the three platforms or seventy five people, why do they, why are they watching this? Why do they care what Eric Campbell has to say in his lyrical expression? You know, I, yeah. I, I don't really understand it. Although, but, but I feel there's a thrill to it. There's a thrill to hearing some kind of truth, I think, and that's all that it comes down to for me. Yeah, or like an, at least a, a, an attempt at truth. Yeah, right? yeah, like, an, an attempt at like radical honesty or something like that. Right, you there know? you go. Like, uh, Gregory Corso, who I'm not a huge fan of, but, you know, he, he's a badass. He once said, uh, poetry is the opposite of hypocrisy. Now, that's not true when you're young and you're starting off because really what you want to be is poignant because we confuse things. Mm -hmm. And you're too young to have had enough life experience, so you try to, as, 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 as Fitzgerald said, you try to plagiarize other people's emotions, right? Which is why, you know, like any, any teacher worth his or her salt or their salt in a poetry class, I think they do the right thing by saying you can't write about death. Like, death is off the table until next semester, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Unless it's like the death of your hamster, something that you know you have to make the strange or the, or the familiar very strange, you know, mm -hmm. because that's 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 not honesty. That's you trying to prove that you have a soul and that you can render it for public consumption, right? But that's also what being alive is. So it takes so long, I think, to realize when you can be of use to someone else as a writer. 
to not be full of garbage, to not be full of shit. Mm-hmm. It took so long to not be full of shit. I mean, I wasn't not full of shit until 25. Yeah. For real. I mean, for real. Mm-hmm. I was trying to imitate other people. I was thinking about the market. I was thinking about what kinds of things work, you know, like for others. I didn't have a, I mean, if, if, it were a, if it were a conversation, it would have been the most insincere conversation ever until I got over that and realized I got to, and I think everybody, they, they should write stuff that they themselves want to read that makes them feel less alone and to affirm the ephemeral quality of the human condition. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good definition. Let's let's read some more poems before uh, people yeah, say, "Where are the poems?" Yeah, yeah. Where do you want to go? Uh, let's do no. Let's skip that. Let's do after candlelight. Is that an argument? Yep. And which page, roughly? I'll find it. I find it. Okay, you, fifty-three. I got it. I got it. Okay. All right. So. <clears throat> okay, this is after Candlelight. It says after Billy Collins, but it's not actually after Billy Collins. Sandy Taylor, the publisher, said I should add that because it was so similar hmm. to something that he published, I think, before me. So that, that's disingenuous. That's lying right there. Yeah, there right? you go. Yeah, so you've ruined poetry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should hold it like Trump does a book, so it's such a lie. <laughs> What is this thing? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm always fascinated by when the power goes out. Oh wow! Can you hear those kids? I in can. The back yeah, line? actually, it's uh, it's kind of yeah. cool to have um, a, you like that a place with kids, but probably shut the door if you can, what? if it doesn't get too hot. I was wondering. Oh, I thought it was the ghosts of the uh, Winchester house haunting your <laughs> your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. I don't know if people get home. I have these like cool headphones that are sensitive, but um, hopefully, well, that's amazing. It's, it's much better still, now. I can still sort of hear them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm glad they're having fun and uh, and they're having a ball. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I should invite them in and let them know what a good time they're missing. <laughs> you should. Right here. You should. <laughs> okay. So I've always been a when the power goes out because when I was a kid, it was uh, the only time that the family got together in the basement for nothing, for no reason, with nothing prepared. And if you live in the Midwest, you're used to tornadoes and all of that. So everybody has a basement in the Midwest. And so that's what this is about. And thinking about Thoreau. So it's called After Candlelight, 2.30 a.m. It would have shocked Thoreau to see us earlier, candlelit, choosing to save the bottle of wine for a night somehow more congruent than this. He'd have felt disconcerting waves of valuation, watching us go through our taxes by tapers at the kitchen table. He could have guessed that instead of making love, our modern sensibilities would find sense in taking this moment to confront inertia, the taxes, letters unwritten and unanswered, the forgotten contents from the clutter drawer. All our mortal obligations exposed on the table, fanned about us like magazines of a flickering semicircle of a life under interrogation. 
It would have saddened him to see me forget and keep trying the lights as I moved from room to room. My fingers, like so much of me now, an extension of choreographed expectation, resistant to the slightest violation. But by midnight, the power still out, he might have been pleased to see me on the sofa reading by candlelight a book written by a dead man who never knew electricity but had his moments of lightning. I like to think that Thoreau would have seen something he recognized in my wife sleeping upstairs, her window open to cricket bows, or in my face when at 12.15 a.m. I rose as the radio resumed its song mid-chorus and I squinted through this sudden world, small with light, knocking over candles and wondering who needed this music? What fool left all the lights on? <laughs> that is a, it's funny that you do that poem today, because last night, um, I always take my dog for a walk late at night uh, through the town in the woods. Yeah. And last night we had a planned power outage because they, <laughs> um, they uh, you know, had to replace a transformer or something. There's only one line up the mountain. And um, so I was walking. I planned it this way. But I was walking when the power outage happened. So I, I watched the, the whole town. Yeah. So I got to watch oh. the whole town go clump, 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 like someone turning off the lights at night. Wow. And then, uh, and then the stars are just like whoosh. And um, I thought that I would have like a good night's sleep because I would go home, you know, after taking the dog for a walk and the power would still be out. So I went, we were going on our walk and um, almost, almost at home. It goes clink, 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 and all the lights go back on. And I was wow. so disappointed. <laughs> it was so nice having no, I mean, just the starlight uh, was just amazing. Um, yeah. So there's something about that. And the silence, too, like no compressors humming, no computers whirring. Um, I agree. That's the strangest thing. I mean, I used to go jogging in, in Papua at night. Uh, and I would stick to the main roads because you can't go through the jungle because that's madness. Because yeah. you get by snake right mm -hmm. yeah. but uh the power went out one night when i was jogging and this is back in the day when i used to go about i used to jog about four miles a week so nothing crazy but you know kind of around the compound and back home and so the power went out and i thought whoa okay i mean because we're talking absolute darkness the only ambient light is from the mining camp right that's it like most people have never seen darkness. Mm -hmm. They've really never seen it because there's always ambient light from a city. I mean, like rural people have seen it. People, you know, who have gone to isolated places, but by and large, you don't see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally not hand, I mean, hand in front of your face dark. <laughs> and so I thought the only thing I can do is go like, like just sit down and wait for a, a car to come by because they have headlights. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I did. Yet the car was a uh, was Compasa, uh, which is like the military police, and they're they're pretty awful people. And there was a boa constrictor over the road; might have been eleven feet. Oh wow! Right? <laughs> just I mean, eleven feet long, but just before I was, you know, eleven feet up and eleven feet in length, but a few yards in front of me. <clears throat> so I they knew I needed help, and then they proceeded to run over the boa constrictor back and forth just to kill it. <laughs> oh, wow. You know? Jesus. And they're big. And it was like writhing in pain. Oh, and man. I thought, oh, my God. And then the next day, I helped draft the memo saying, you know, Indonesian employees, you don't have to kill every snake. <laughs> but 
You don't have to kill them all. Uh-huh. Although, you know, we fear snakes. But anyway, that feeling, that elemental weirdness, right? Yeah, I still remember uh, some story. I think you were talking about the first day that you were in Papua. And um, you went to a bathroom. And you closed the door on the stall. And there was a spider the size of a dinner plate staring at you. I, every time I go into a bathroom stall in the woods, I think of that story. Um, yeah. So, so how yeah. did you um, how did you come to be in in Papua and um, and and let me ask like what did you learn there? Just for people who you have that um, essay that we published. Um, uh, what was it like? I'm not writing in the jungle. I think it was called or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so what did you take away from your time? It seemed like you sort of, in a weird way, fit more in the jungle in the middle of nowhere with very little access to technology than you do. Um, here on Skype. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I, I, yeah, unfortunately, maybe lamentably true. I don't know. Uh, I kind of have a pet theory that since everyone's life is finite, you know, we got about, what do men clock in at? 82 years at, at the outside now, and, and women live longer, of course, because they're not as reckless and stupid as we are. Well, it's the testosterone, uh, actually, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's yeah, go with the yeah, stock. It's toxic. It's toxic. So we're filled with a toxic, you know, toxic masculinity. But anyway. Yes, actually chemically true. <laughs> it is chemically true. It is. Oh, that's hilarious. That, that, there's an idea right there. Yeah, yeah. It takes four years off our lives, something like that. Yeah, so I went there because my wife was, uh, my ex-wife was an impressive person, and, and she uh, got a job at a mining company in the middle of the jungle in Papua. And I was in the midst of a great job that I loved. You know, I was working in, in living in Bethesda, uh, working in Bethesda, living in Tacoma Park uh, in Maryland, and uh, loving it. But yet, the opportunity to go there was—it was—it was too crazy to pass up. You—you kind of have to do it. So we moved there on like a one or two-year contract. And then it just kept getting extended. So essentially one year became five. And then I just became completely ensconced because, you know, about, you know the, the series of African migrations and the time that they left. And from the Eastern African migrations, uh, I think it was number two or maybe it's number one. I mean, went, went to Papua. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been people there for 70 some thousand years, you know. And for, you know, uh, a U.S. perspective, we've had people, we think, for 15,000 years, right? But that's still being backdated all the time. Uh, but we know that that's one of the earliest places. And so it it was just so fascinating. And uh, being so completely otherized was such an amazing experience. I mean, it wasn't easy. Right. I mean, culture shock is real. You spend about a month losing your mind. You know what? I mean, I didn't see a movie, a proper movie. There was nowhere to go. I mean, every day you would wake up and you're in the jungle, man. You're in the jungle (laughs) and you hang out with Seventh Day Adventists from some remote island in Indonesia. I mean, Indonesia is huge. And it's actually quite pluralistic, even though it's the most populous Muslim country in the world. Again, you've got a lot of Christians there. Most Papuans are Christians. So I would have to like attend, say, 
big roasting ceremonies, which is what the Papuans love doing, in the presence of like 30 Muslims who do not like this at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, needless to say. And you're like, wow, this, the cultural overlap. And, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. As we know now, Flores, man, you know, we now know that there was a, there was a homo sapien who was about three and a half feet tall. And he was found now in the Flores, right? Which is right there in, in, in the Papuan area. Uh, and I went up into. So, yeah, I mean, having grown up in Nebraska, where, you know, Minnesota seems exotic, right? Colorado, Jesus. California is a different country <laughs> if you're born in Omaha, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, uh, it was absolutely fascinating. Um Do you, yeah. do you have any poems about it that you can you can share? Did any be good? Let's jump to the long one because we're already going probably over time. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't care anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep forgetting we're not just having a conversation. So yeah. I, 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 I keep forgetting too. So is it from the corpse pose you want to do? Yep, let's do that. Okay. Let's just okay. Do that. So what page with that? Uh, let's do number uh, page twenty. Okay. And this is kind of the point actually. Uh, so this is nice. This is called uh, like a Bavarian cafe in a mall in Jakarta. Uh, Mid-December and the mall is full of Muslims in Santa suits with blackened Peters waving switches and sacks, which causes both of us to marvel at how adroitly we colluded with the Dutch, imported the secular like spices or slaves. Jesus, I say, just look at the faux snow for proof or Spongebob there dancing for Javanese applause. And we're in a mall because everyone is, because Jakarta is a city of interiors and crowds, because crowds in this century create interiority. And though we are where we are, I still say, here we are, imagine. And she nods at this since we've been married 13 years and so have been, uh, have learned when to indulge or ignore each other's obviousness. We can eat snitchel tonight, but we can't find it silly. And I know that later, all of this must be analogy. Someone said that when the natural becomes mechanical, we laugh. My research suggests that when the opposite happens, we laugh even harder, and then we shake our heads. That <laughs> <laughs> was uh, like a Bavarian cafe in a mall in Jakarta from uh, the Corpse Pose. Why don't you, since we haven't been getting to the poems, why don't you read two more? And I should yeah. say to everybody watching at home, uh, if you have any questions for Eric, uh, let me know in the chat windows. I'm, I'm monitoring Facebook and, uh, and uh, YouTube. So if you have any questions, I'll pass them along. But um, in the meantime, yeah, why don't you read two more poems, and, and then we'll, we'll go back to chatting. I'm going to read a long one, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Read whatever you want. I mean, it's not long. On, on, I mean, it's not the Columbiad or some nonsense, but it's uh, the longest thing I've ever done. And it's, it's the entirety of part two of, uh, of the corpse pose. Okay, what page? Uh, it's uh, page 39. Okay. As something of a disjunctive poem, hugely influenced by Dean Young, uh, and it's called A Partial Summary, 2002 to 2007. And it's partial because it's incomplete and partial because it's biased, of course, because I'm a, 
Western or someplace else. Um, and the quotation at the beginning, the uh, Dean Young quotation ties in. So I'll read that too. So it's a partial summary, 2002 to 2007. You bend the nail, but keep hammering because hammering makes the world. And that's Dean Young. Mm. To my mind, it's wise to take only what you can carry, whether you're traveling to your kitchen or Komodo Island, and unless you possess a refined sense of inevitability or silly, never ask for directions in India, because Indians are mostly Hindu, and so for some 70% of them, life is a circle. Ergo, they will pick any spot on said circle. Certainly you will arrive somewhere, and you will. Fill your head with too much Buddha, and for weeks, you might not be able to leave the bedroom. If you live in the jungle where there's little to do, save for reading and walking, you might, when, you might wind up watching all four seasons of The O.C. on pirated DVD and wish you hadn't sympathized with the characters and later had to hate them, then yourself. One can read one literary biography and one book of new criticism simultaneously and receive blinding headaches. Yesterday, my Javanese neighbors placed dozens of eggshells on bushes in front of their house. I suspect them of mysticism and things Southeast Asian. They suspect me of drinking, invasion, good teeth, and too much television. My wife wonders what they did with all that yolk if we missed one epic omelet. Say you find yourself near Libya in an oasis town called Siwa, and a Siwan tells you that Gore lost the election because he is a Jew. Try not to kill yourself. Concede that politics is off the table. Feel blessed your beer isn't. If you believe in a personal God, I suspect you could walk straight into the jungle barefoot, but I can't. Observation taught me that the most powerful God in Southeast Asia, if iconography in indicates anything, is Bob Marley. You will never see a reality show entitled The Exceedingly Cordial Chef because politeness adds 10 pounds to TV personalities, whereas anger is slimming. You will never see a reality show. A wise man once said, no olives, no Athens. When Alexander came to Egypt, he brought hundreds of soldiers to ensure that various oracles found a pharaoh in him. They did. Now this is called foreign policy. In New Zealand, there is one murderer, universal health care, and people discussing good books on the radio. In Asia, Colonel Sanders looks like Ho Chi Minh, and this is like a Bavarian cafe in a mall in Jakarta. If you choose to be Canadian while traveling, study a map of Canada first, just in case you meet a man from Nairobi who used to live in Canada because he had to because his family was burned and wants to discuss Montreal restaurants with precision. A wise man's barber once said, no Athens, no Oedipus. If you are Canadian or feigning Canadianness in Egypt, you will doubtless hear this. Ah, Canada dry, big country, small bottle, which suggests that people aren't funny everywhere and you might consider buying a map of Atlantis. In Lamu, Kenya, there are still prophets screaming in the street. I watched one busily being ignored because little has changed since the Book of P. In Bali, Everyone can play guitar and sing Hotel California phonetically, but always in key. I have several Australian friends who are either abbreviating or renaming every noun in the lexicon because they want to force the cosmos into a condition conducive to a good barbecue. And let's face it, mate, there are worse things that people can do. 
In the hotel lobby in Perth, I noticed that someone hung a copy of Kandinsky's The Kiss sideways. I mentioned this to the concierge, and he told me that the manager liked it better that way. And what's more, the artist is Klimt. And I had to admit that some things are improved if sideways, e.g. dead bodies, certain species of tree. My wife's theory is that people who grow up with four seasons understand birth and decay more tenderly. To which I say I had aspirations to write my biography as told to Malcolm X, but it's too late for that as well. You will never find a car large enough on which to emblazon your philosophy in bumper stickers, and one can find fault and fallacy in any statement under seven words. In Papua, there are rainbows almost every night around six, but don't let this give you any ideas. If you mull over the data, you'll find that from 2000-2008 CE, the White House had, had difficulty with, then during commercial break, abolished all subject-verb agreement, and thus things just happened on a regular basis, principally in places where people pray five times a day. But the White House has never had any trouble with metonymy. Everyone, not only the doctors, should take the Hippocratic Oath. Expulsion from a particular woman's womb in a certain century and country should not be confused with greatness when it's chance and Magellan and sometimes gunpowder. Everyone's birth certificate should read just below the name, restrictions may apply. It's too easy to fly over Sudan. Wandering in the desert doesn't guarantee a promised land. You can lead a horse to water, you can make it drink itself to death. Carelessness can create an attitude of your longitude. You are an unfortunate superhero if all of your battles are with existential threats. You can see your, your neighbors at night eating dinner, backlit and happy, almost ekphrastic, and every house you've ever lived in or seen from the street is full of bent nails that keep the shaky thing standing. Mm. Excellent workout poem from the corpus. Yeah, yeah, from the corpse pose. Um, <laughs> so many lines I love in that, but that everyone should should take the Hippocratic oath. That's the one that uh, that I always think about uh, when I read that one. Um, Thank you for that. Yeah. Someone was asking on the on the chat. Let me see. Um, Mission Junior High. Did you go to Mission Junior High? Yeah. You did. Yeah. yeah. And. Um, uh, Oh boy! I don't know. Some, you know, I think you have a classmate here. I can't find the other comment, but someone was asking if 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 they knew you. Um, it is a small world, the poetry world. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> now, there's one thing I've always kind of wondered, and it's extremely personal. And so I figured, why not ask you this now when it's a live broadcast in front of lots of people? Now it seems to me I always read your poems as if you were writing to Sherry. Um, mm. I don't know if that's the case or not, but um, it always, there's, there are a lot of poems that are explicitly written to Sherry. Your ex, ex-wife that you mentioned was a, um, what did you say? It was a... Um, that is pretty heavy. It, yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. So, so now that you're divorced, what? do you find it... Here. Yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm doing it. But, <laughs> I, but now that you're divorced and, and most of the poems, and I feel free to bring it up because most of the poems in the corpse pose are about that. Okay. Or, 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 you know, toward the end. Um, yeah yeah um do you find it like i've always thought like one of the pieces of advice i give to people 
is that um, you should write a poem as if you're writing to someone specific and like know who you're writing to. And that's how you make it intimate. And yeah. um, and that's kind of why your f- poems always feel so intimate, because it feels like you're writing to her, I think. Um, do you have trouble um, writing now that you're that you've been divorced? And um, or do you still do that or did you not do that at all? Like what? How does that work for you? Did you find someone new to write to? I can tell you this, and I don't mean to dodge. This is not a dodge. Uh-huh. Uh, but, well, no, it might even inform the discussion. Uh, it's a lot easier to have a muse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't even think, uh, I mean, I'm not using uh, muse in the Homeric sense, but uh, even having someone you want to impress is 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 muse like mm-hmm. right yeah and so yeah she would always she was a very careful conscientious reader and indulged me to the hilt i mean it's really quite phenomenal how how how, how much of my stuff she 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 read you know two-fourths or two-thirds rather mm-hmm. the, the corpse pose and so yeah I, that that's part of the uh, yeah you're right i mean you're probably absolutely right because without a muse in the most general definition and i mean a muse could even be like your peer group mm-hmm. yeah. or your writing group i don't have any of that any longer and uh not really and so i have felt less inclined mm-hmm. to uh, communicate in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, Yates, man, that was his whole thing. It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, Among School Children is one of the greatest things ever ever written, in my opinion, and is the reason that, I mean, a lot of people... I mean, among ch- um, uh, so many of Yeats's poems are, are 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 almost like short stories or novels, and they're important. They're heft. I mean, they're just so huge, like some Philip Larkin poems are. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to use a more contemporary example, but uh, his whole thing was Ava Braun, right? Yeah, and and you look at uh, wait, did I get that right? Not Ava Braun. Oh, sorry, Fanny Braun. Ah, yeah, okay. Is that right? I don't Was know. Pizza's lover. I don't remember. I'm, I'm screwing this up. Someone's got to Google that. So, someone will Google it. You know, there'll be a comment or something. My brain does not hold facts, so they they just yeah. don't exist. Uh, Ava Braun was the Argentinian. Uh, Ava Braun was Hitler's muse. <laughs> Ava Braun was Hitler's muse. And, and, Hitler's and Hitler's, <laughs> uh, you know, she did the, you know, that uh, what was that the the Ava documentary, Braun, the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 What was that triumph? Yeah. Yeah. Triumph of the will. Yeah. The will. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. Muse is important. Yeah. I don't know. Just have a reason. Mm-hmm. I suppose we've talked about this. I mean, you haven't published a book. You haven't written anything. Have you for a long time? I write, uh, when we had a reading series live, I would write a poem once a month to read at the reading series open mic. And now I write a poem uh, once a week for the prompt that we do. And I'm trying to get back into the swing. For me, it's more about just priorities and sort of disillusionment, I guess. Um, you know, I published a book, and um, 
it didn't feel as cool as I thought it would or something. I just didn't care. And then lack of caring. Like, I mean, then I had kids right after I published a book. So I have two kids They're They just turned uh, 10 and six and like they're my poems now or something. And I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy or something, but it just seems, I just don't care enough to actually take the time to do it. I'd rather play uh Catan with them or something than write a poem. And um, so I'm kind of yeah. stuck in this, in this rut where I just don't care enough to do it. And, um, and you haven't done readings in, in years. Um, and, and you know, yeah. I think it's also the digital culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, really once 2007 happened, it seemed to me as though there was just a sea change, just some kind of seismic shift. Once Facebook was open to people who weren't in university, mm-hmm. And once the smartphone was introduced, I believe that was 2007 for both things. I think it was, yeah. Uh, then it just became weird. I mean, we've, we've, we've talked about this before here and there, but, you know, in my day, uh, like, wanting to be a short story writer or a poet was kind of the same thing, although the short story writers had aspirations to write novels. Mm-hmm. Usually, or have, they usually have that aspiration. But the paradigm was, not unlike a punk band or, or just a rock band, you play at small clubs, you put your chops together, you maybe you put out an EP or something until you have enough commercial viability or at least a fan base that someone will bother to put out an album, mm-hmm. right? And in the poetry metaphor, it's, you know, that's what you used to do. You'd submit to the magazines that you read and respected and you had to have an acknowledgments page that was pretty substantial before any publisher would look at you at all, unless they, you know, otherwise, unless you were really well connected. And I've never been connected. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you and I met in 2004, it's not like Rattle is what it is now, right? I mean, it was one of many of those magazines, right? They were mm-hmm. all jockeying, but it was a really robust world. And then it just suddenly disappeared. And so, I mean, now I know people who who publish books without even publishing in magazines, and I don't even really understand what that means. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what. Uh, I, it, it just, I don't know. It, and and I also see there's so much less gravitas on things. I mean, I think we talked about this when we had our tech run. I mean, I used to look forward to. Well, I, I mean, I still do. I don't know how many people actually look forward to Author X putting out something. Mm-hmm. And then they buy it immediately. I, I just think maybe that ship has sailed. Hmm. That whole delivery system might be done. Uh, in the same way that music has changed. I mean, once, once music stopped being a commodity, an actual physical product, Right. I mean, not a commodity, but a physical product, mm-hmm. a CD or an album. It's a, uh, it's it's emotional, aesthetic, and intellectual heft was 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 just you know lightened. I mean, how many people do you know who listen to an album beginning to end? Yeah, these days? yeah, yeah. The, I mean, that we romanticize the records, and and you know some people still do, and I guess record shops are having some kind of anachronistic rebound. Yeah. Now, but it's a it's a minority of people for sure. I mean, everybody's just gets the um, 
the 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 Spotify or whatever. Right, Spotify. And, and, and I'm it, not yeah. rattling my cane here. I mean, I realize things change, and that's just mm-hmm. how that's just the gravitation of of human history and technology and all of that. But we're screwing ourselves over. I mean, I see amazing things happening in media. Uh, like, I mean, I'm sorry, in a, a television media like uh, The Watchmen mm-hmm. uh, and certain shows that are just astonishing. But I think maybe the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I don't know, under these quarantine conditions and the pandemic, I don't know, are a lot, of, are a lot more people reading? And if they are, that's, a, that's good. And if they're not, that's okay too. Maybe the utility of such things has just, it's not been able to make a good argument, perhaps. Well, to, right. to me, I think the um, um, the intimacy of poetry. Maud Gunn, sorry, Maud Gunn was Yeats. Yeah, oh yeah. Let me uh, let me correct the record. So, so everybody's been Ava Braun, of course, was Hitler's mistress. Yeah, Ava Braun was Hitler's mistress, and, and Lenny Riefenstahl did Triumph of the Will. So we have a lot of corrections to do. Everybody's been. Fixing us. Um, freak it out. That, that's hilarious. They're, they're all they're all correcting us. So Paul Scott Stanfield says Lenny Riefenstahl did Triumph of the Will, and then um, um, hey, yeah, David Scott. Leo Siroy says uh, Maud Gone, and uh, Josh Williams says Fanny Braun. So we are completely corrected, but now uh, the audio version where people can't see comments is corrected too. Well, you know, Paul Scott Stanfield is one of the preeminent Yates scholars in the United States. Oh yeah. So oh. his brain. Uh-huh. He was probably, it would be like if I said, I don't know, if I said John Keats wrote, wrote Ozymandias. <laughs> that, that's, that's how. That's the level. Yeah. Probably went up. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, but, but, the, but to get back to the point though, I think, um, you know, poetry is the most intimate art form there is and in, in the most inf- intimate medium there is i think we're yeah. all craving intimacy because because when you read a poem it is you as the reader sort of being the musical instrument of the author like your breath is regulated by the author's words on the page your heartbeat is regulated by the beat of the poem as it's going through like you are the medium and it's this one-on-one connection which is why I love poetry so much. And, um, and it's the yeah. thing that we're longing for these days. You know, we don't have this intimacy anymore. So I why is it that no one of, reads? <laughs> okay, I think we're afraid of certain aspects of it, right? Because, or we're, we're afraid of connection on, on a few fundamental levels. Like, I, I got to tell you, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the aforementioned uh, divorce, right? was the first time I went to therapy. And I think if you're doing therapy well, uh, you have to spend the first few sessions just like crying, like, oh my God, you know, coming to terms with yourself, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, because we lie to ourselves all the time and we lie to each other all the time. And I think people are, uh, understandably so, very often, concerned or worried about intimate communication because mm-hmm. it's threatening yeah yeah it, it's even even you know uh it's uh because again it should be bereft of bullshit 
And so someone's trying to speak to you crucially, right? They're not speaking to you flippantly. They're speaking to you crucially. They're trying to do that. And that already is a little bit embarrassing, hmm. you know? I mean, Jesus, I mean, it's embarrassing to even sit at your typewriter or your computer and think, I'm going to create something that didn't have to exist because I think I have something to say. Hmm. Right there. Bam. That, that's not being an actor where you're aping somebody else's script, right? You're taking a huge risk of vulnerability, hmm. right? Yeah. And, and that's just on the writing end. So on the receiving end, I think, I think that's the stuff that works the best, actually, mm -hmm. right? But again, I think people are, 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 are maybe a little bit worried about it because it's uh, – it's uncomfortable, although it's not difficult. That's another thing that, that drives me to distraction. Is, uh, and I think this is almost entirely high school teachers' faults because they uh, tend to teach poetry like you need a secret decoder ring. Mm -hmm. And they bust out William Cullen Bryant's, uh, you know, uh, what is that one? Battered my, my heart, three-person God or something. Okay, but if you if you weren't raised in the Trinity or the Trinitarian tradition, you don't know what the hell's happening in this poem. You need a secret Dakota ring. Or for that matter, the wasteland. Let's face it, right? Everybody loves proof rock. But if you're not college educated, forget it about the wasteland. You're not gonna get there. Unless you need to you have to have a companion book, right? Mm -hmm. There's no other way to do it. Or like Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, right? which I forget who said it, but when that was published, one of his peers, might have been Samuel Beckett, <clears throat> said, uh, you have abandoned your audience. Hmm. Right? <laughs> well, abandoned the common man, I think is what the line was. But I don't think most poets are trying to do that any more than most short story writers are. Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying, again, to speak crucially and to, to uh, dignify and, 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 and even sometimes complicate the human experience. I mean, which is another problem. It shouldn't necessarily make you feel great, right? That's what Instagram poetry is for. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to feel wonderful, do that. But, yeah, I've always feel like, like poetry, like real poetry, because it's, it's honest and intimate in that way, creates cognitive dissonance and that's what people yeah. resist it's like my worldview is changing and i don't like this experience <laughs> and so that's why um people don't gravitate toward it but then some people enjoy that like people enjoy skydiving or something for the rush of the cognitive dissonance i think that's kind of what it comes down to and i don't know how to i want to find a way to make more people appreciate that and appreciate the way that expands your consciousness to hear to have somebody's voice be your voice, which is, I guess, fundamentally what poetry is. Like so you're, you're be allowing yourself to be embodied briefly. And, well, yeah. and then, I think we could, yeah, if we could sell it that way, so to, so to speak, it would be better because I agree with you completely. I mean, <clears throat> the, the, the moment you sit down with anyone, let's just say a novel, the moment you sit down with uh, James Baldwin, and Giovanni's room. That, that mere act that you're surrendering yourself to one person's voice is already an act in, 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 in the dissolution of, of your own ego, 
But of course, you have to bring your intelligence to the table to apprehend the, the author, right? Mm -hmm. And it's such an amazing sense of uh, commerce between thoughts and ideas, but we live in a frenetic world where, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't go out in public without, if anyone is idle in public, they're looking at their phone. And I don't think they're looking at Kindle mm -hmm. or, or, or whatever, some book. I don't know how to make it. I, I don't know. At the same time, though, concurrently, we have so many people interested in new age and yoga. I mean, namaste is almost like saying hello in California. <laughs> and yet, I don't know. These people, if you said, hey, how about you sit down and read a whole bunch of Basho right now or a whole bunch of Issa haikus, uh, read Busan. I don't know if they, I mean, maybe they would. And they, if they would, they'd probably love it. But yeah, I don't know how we can save it. I don't know how we can yeah, do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how either. How does Slam work, for example, do you think? I mean, it, it kind of enlivened the youth. Well, I think slam is a different genre in the same way uh, Instagram is a different genre. Because with with, uh, with poetry, it's about this intimacy. With page poetry, it's just you and the author and the and the um, author inhabiting your body, so you get to experience that thing. With slam, it's like a it's like a like a religious revival or a concert or a rock concert where everyone's feeling the same thing. So it's yeah. a collective energy with slam. And I love it too. I, I loved our slam issue, and I love watching slam poets. But it, it's not poetry in the way that that people are frightened of. I guess like people want to. I think people want to belong to to a collective. I think we have this sort of tribal drive, and slam caters to that in a way because we all, um, you know, we get to have the same thought pattern for a while. In the same way, if we're listening to a, a, a rock concert or any concert, we're all feeling the same yeah. music. And that's what slam does. And what poetry does is slice into the, the complicated ways that we see the world. And I think they're completely different things, even though they both use language as the tool. So I think, I don't know, I don't think slam is the answer to the kind of poetry that we try to publish as much as I appreciate slam. And I appreciate Instagram, too. I, I appreciate anybody who's using words in a creative way. But it's a different genre completely. And I think slam is the same way. Performance poetry is the same way to me. Yeah. Well, I, I do appreciate Slam. It's taken me a while. I, I don't appreciate Instagram poetry. Yeah. Well, I remember when you hated Slam. <laughs> yeah. And and so maybe you'll, maybe you'll come around. I think, I mean, yeah. Inst Instagram poetry has a use, which is, I, I think, in our interview with um, um, Pavana Reddy, she talked about it pretty openly. But the use is to sort of send covert messages to people. Yeah. And um, and it really works well for that in the same way like greeting cards do, except a little more sly, and um, well, and, and and more cleverly. But um, she's remarkably honest. Yeah, and she's yeah. really good at what mm -hmm. she does. Yeah, you know. But again, that 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 kind of goes back to the point. Do you remember part of that interview? Uh, I think it was toward the end. Is that Pavana? Is that right? Pavana. Pavana. Yeah, Pavana. I think Pavana. Mm -hmm. she. Uh, she said that what she really wanted was to like be in a 
august publication right she wanted yeah yeah and i'm thinking like why like like (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know i mean yeah yeah but it was it was an insightful comment because there's something about expanding human consciousness that that everybody aspires to or something or at least every writer aspires to like you want to change the world yeah, with with what you write, that's what everybody actually wants to do, and it's really hard, and nobody does it, but uh, yeah. occasionally someone does, and that's what we're all trying to do. I think is to make the world a better place somehow because it's more expansive and open and sees the world and our interactions more clearly. Well, it's just a shame that she couldn't realize that. I mean, my God, when's the last time you and I got a phone call from Anushka Shankar? <laughs> I'd love to put some of your words to music. I mm-hmm. mean, in terms of touching people, I mean, and, and you know, sharing, she's she's already eclipsed almost every page poet there there is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. not, you know, that's hyperbole, but a lot of them. So it's funny. Well, let's, I, we're, we're kind of over time, but let's do two more poems. We haven't done enough poems. Why don't you pick two to close it out? Alrighty. Okay, and they're going to be short ones. So sure. Be, uh, let me know the pages. Yeah. Let's go with uh, page 58. This one's called Aaron's. The early childhood nostalgia archive rejected my stretch Armstrong because he looked like, quote, a sad plastic vestige, plastic vestige, and a long neglected god. Too much specificity, I shouted silently and left. The next stop was the inconvenience store just to see what was new. The building was slanted, the shelves were now taller and required wobbly ladders. The clerks couldn't give change and they still haven't your brand of anything I checked. I called the latter 20th century helpline, waited 14 years and three months, and their message was, we're sorry, our organization is strictly ironic. If you need help, please pound sand and try again. This is a recording. The last stop was the car wash. My car was already clean, but I wanted to pretend I was running through a sprinkler in the backyard on a puddle wonderful June afternoon and try not to feel so much like a vegan deer hunter. Later that evening, before unlocking the front door, I shot a smile and a thumbs up at the sky because I knew Google was watching me and remembered that you that Zeus used to be. <laughs> yeah, I laugh at that Google every time, too. <laughs> okay, so we're out of here in just a second. Uh, right? Okay, so we'll finish up with... Uh, you know what? Let's do the last poem. Okay. It's page 93. So there's a section that deals with the Village Green Preservation Society, which is my favorite album by the Kinks. And it's essentially a group of curmudgeon people who are lamenting the state of affairs. Let me, right? let me ask you about this Village Green Preservation yeah. Society. Because I know... The first time you sent me one of those poems, you mentioned it was a Kinks album. But why is it? Is there actually something like that? Did they just make it up? What is the deal with a Village Green? 
it was like his concept album that it was the kinks way of trying to encapsulate the end of like uh, 19th century Britain. Mm-hmm. You, know? Uh, you know, like the song says, God bless uh, Tudor houses, you know, antique tables and billiards, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it would be hilarious, like if you could conjure up the Village Green Preservation Society, like all these people who've lived in a certain village in London and or, or outside of London, and they see the whole, you know, urban sprawl, and they're like, you know what? Now we can't play cricket. This sucks, right? So that's kind of the, the idea. Is that good? Yeah, that's good, yeah. All right, so this is called uh, The Village Green Preservation Society Considers How the Cartographers Conspired. And it begins with a quotation from William Manchester from his book, uh, A World Lit Only by Fire, about the Middle Ages. And he says, given the state of maps then, it's hardly surprising that so many ships failed to return. Scientists around several tables decided the the planet Pluto isn't. This is how the cosmos is nudged by naming, why maps are complicated, then discarded. It's nonsense to think of Dante nowadays and where he happened to place his hells, or how the seven visible spheres became crowns for ancient kings. And if the Vatican is correct, the Virgin ascending at the speed of light hasn't left our galaxy yet. This is why the universe swallows both regular and immaculate conceptions and burps without saying excuse me. Still, we look up often and constellate stars because one must constellate something and read them like tea leaves because magnetic north, among other fixed things, is moving. Confession. I love those early maps of the unfinished half-assed world, unknown places populated by crypto-anthropological creatures drawn more carefully than continents and the pirate syntax of here there be monsters. Marco Polo was correct to see Chinese unicorns instead of rhinoceroses and never mention drinking tea. This is the lot of most mysteries always pushed to our peripheries. Last week, Google reduced our hometowns to fields and streets and perfect squares. Unless we close our eyes, we can't find where we used to be anywhere. Thanks so much. I was Eric Campbell reading the epilogue to his uh, latest book, The Corpse Pose. Eric, thanks so much for joining me. It's just a pleasure, as I knew it would be. I think we'll have to have you on every time somebody cancels or postpones. So uh, keep your Tuesdays free. I wouldn't mind being the David Lane. Uh, you know, like for Letterman, right? When yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you're so going to do that. So I'm, I'm serious. You have to uh, keep your Tuesday nights free from now on. <laughs> I apologize for all the exposition. Thanks to everybody who watched and uh, namaste. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Yeah, talk all to right. you soon. See ya. Bye. Yeah, so there's Eric Campbell with his uh, latest book, which is 2016 from Red Hen Press, The Corpse Pose. Hope you all enjoyed that. If you did, please let me uh, remind you one more time to click the like button and uh, share it if you can, if you're if you're bold enough to do that, because um, that's how you tell the computers, the Google overlords, uh, that uh, this content is worth worth sharing and watching, so that all the people who um, who might want to get to actually see it. 
So, um, yeah, thanks so much. It was a great discussion. Um, and, <laughs> and Tad Robbins says, God bless Eric's hair. It's funny because the, the only thing he asked before he started was uh, if his hair looked okay. <laughs> Which, um, anyway, now we're going to move on to the open mic portion of the night. And I wanted to talk to everybody. I'm wondering if we maybe we should, um, I'm thinking about merging um, the shows. We have the Poetry Spot Live Sunday mornings, and we have this Tuesday nights. And I was thinking about merging them into one longer show on Sunday. Um, so let me know what you think about that. Um, you know, some people have already said they'd want to do a Tuesday show. So you know, I'll just ask everybody if they want to switch. Maybe we'll have like a back and forth if people like that. But um, I don't know how much, you know, we gather around now three times a week to talk about poetry. Is that a good amount or is that too much? Um, my original idea for this Rattlecast was to have an hour of talk and, and poetry with a poet every week and then have an hour of sort of call in open lines. And when we started, I didn't have enough people calling in. Uh, but now we've added the phone lines so you don't have to use Skype. And we have the prompt poems and we have um, Poet Respond poems. So if you move to Sunday, we could actually have a two hour show where everything is sort of conjoined together. Let me know what you think about that in the comments. I'll watch the comments and see if um, that's something you like, or do you like it spread out like this? I don't know. The only the only thing about um, combining them is that I love how on Sunday mornings we get all the poets from India to call in because the timing is better. So, so I'm not sure. But that's something I'm thinking about for the future. So let me know. Maybe I'll put a poll up on Facebook or something. Um, but now let's move on to the open mic portion of the show. Um, we'll get rid of Eric. Bye, Eric. And um, if you would like to call in, let me remind you how it's done. Um, why is that not working? Well, hmm, that's strange. My uh, phone, my phone number is not popping up. It still says Eric Campbell, but the number is eight one eight eight five zero seven seven two seven. That's eight one eight. Eight five zero seven seven two seven, or you could send a um. I do not know why that's not showing up. Hmm. Oh, I know. I made a mistake. I saved it as the wrong file. Okay. Anyway, um, you can also send me a chat message over Skype to Rattle Poetry, all one word. We have uh, Richard Westheimer would like to read tonight. Um, definitely have Richard on. Um, Brentopolis. Uh, we're going to try him probably. And if you have the, the poem for the prompt, and let me show you what the prompt is for this week. Um, the prompt was, here you go, um, write a poem based on your most recent dream, must not use adjectives or adverbs, and I have to admit that me and Megan both, I think, forgot about the adjectives and adverbs thing, uh, so we actually used them, I'm sorry, but, uh, but they're poems about our most recent dream. So if you have a post poem about your most recent dream, bonus points for not using adjectives or adverbs. Um, Send me a chat message to Rattle Poetry, all one word. I will call you when we get the time right. Uh, we have Dick Westheimer and Angela Gartner lined up already. Uh, you can also call that number, which, once again, I can't show on screen because I screwed up the uh, file, is 818-850-7727. I'll show Can you see my post-it note? There you go. 818-850-7727. That's the number you have to call. I can never remember it, so I have a post-it note. Um, but if you would like to call in, please do so. Now, here is uh, first my poem. Uh, and I mentioned this before. This was literally my, my last dream. 
And um, it was because Sunday night, I think it was. Yeah, Sunday night. I was talking to Eric about the show, and I could not find his first book, Arguments for Stillness. I had him send me a, um, a digital file of it. And um, so I was looking all over my sh- bookshelves. I have a whole bunch of shelves that way. You can't really see them, but I do. And I could not find it. And it was driving me nuts. And then I went to bed, and then I had this dream. And this is just a, this is just an explanation of my dream, word for word, or, or image for image. So here you go. Um, Dear Eric, I'm sorry to say I dropped my signed copy of your first book in the septic tank last night. The iron lid looked in the dream like my dead grandmother's laundry chute. I don't know why I wanted to wash your words. I don't know what it means to launder a book. As I watched it slide down the long tube into that dark pit, I realized the water at the bottom was clear. I could have drank some, and I was thirsty, but I couldn't reach that far. And in the dream, I couldn't swim. In the house behind me, every pipe inside every wall was leaking. That was my prompt poem. I don't know what the heck that dream meant. If anybody wants to do some kind of Freudian analysis and figure out <laughs> what what all the leaking pipes and septic tanks and, and clear water mean, uh, please feel free. But that is just what happened in my dream from on Sunday night. I woke up and thought, what the hell? Now here's Megan's Megan's poem. And these are Megan's prompts. So um, she, she gives me a list of prompts every couple months, and then we, we go through them. And here's Megan's poem from the prompt. This is The Dogs. In the middle of the forest, a kennel of dogs. Small wire cages the color of rust, each containing a pair of wild eyes. When I back away, it's into a cave. A husky crashes through his cage and flies toward me, and all I can see in the darkness is soft gray light. But I feel the heat of him, his warm hunger, and then a stranger pulls the dog away and says, he's just really friendly, and all at once I know what friendly means. Good intentions, sharp teeth. So that's Megan's poem for this week about her dream, which I can confirm. She told me uh, she had this dream last night. And um, wrote a poem about it. Now, um, yeah, good intentions, sharp teeth. Yeah, so true. I think we both are having some kind of um, issues going on. So let's see who is up next. We have uh, Richard Westheimer would definitely like to read. Let's call him up. And I should say, if um, how you send me the poem so everybody can read along as you read is um, send it to open mic, all one word, open mic at rattle.com open mic at rattle.com i will uh, show the poem as you read um let me log in actually that would be helpful uh, yes we have alan g gardner we have richard westheimer's poem here let's call up richard right now hey richard good to see you. let me pull you in just one second uh, there you go hello how you doing tonight good i loved your discussion tonight yeah that's kind of just a look uh, about maybe once a month i talk to eric on the phone about the, mostly about the state of poetry and about the state of the world. And so that was kind of a look in on our uh, regular phone call. Discussions. Well, a, lot of us, a lot of us wanted to hear about his bass. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. I've known him for 15 years. I didn't know he played bass. Um, yeah. yeah, I wonder how it plays in his head when he's writing poems. Yeah, that's a good question. So if we ever have him again, I'll, I'll ask him about that. Yeah. Um, so, so you wrote a poem about your dream. Is there anything you want to say to introduce it? 
Yeah, sure. Um, I rarely remember my dreams. I mean, as in almost not at all, but the first month or so of the, uh, of the pandemic shutdown, I had this recurrent dream that I was in a very public place yeah. and I found myself in that place and was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? How, how do I get out of here? And so I pulled that dream forward mm -hmm. to it being the last dream I remembered rather than my last dream. Uh, so. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder how many people have had that dream because, um, you know, the, the point of dreams, I guess, is to, according to psychologists, is to like rehearse potential problems before they come up. And um, I've had similar dreams, too, of being like in a mall that's like a maze. And, um, yeah. and like, how do I get out without dying of the COVID? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that, that, I haven't had it recently, mm -hmm. maybe because I've adjusted to it. Anyway, it's sort of like melded with the current movement and moment and Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter piece that as I wrote this poem without adjectives or adverbs. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you know, what, what happened is um, Megan Ray made one prompt without adjectives and adverbs and one about the dream. And I decided to merge them, but I forgot that we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you're much better than us. That's for sure. Well, and I, I learned a lot about gerunds and where they fit uh -huh. in the adjective. Yeah, that was the idea that I should have done. Is you know try to try to work on on that, but I but I didn't. Anyway, yeah. it's ready, all set. Whenever you're ready to go. Okay, I dreamt I was a man the color of coffee. I sit at a table, just me, and multitudes all without masks, none seeing the panic ping like atoms in a smasher careening off my skull, a cavity containing all my anxieties, each struck by another, agitating for me to be somewhere I can breathe. I cannot breathe, not here, not with the others, each emitting isotopes glowing with a me-seeking virus. And me, asleep, I must be, because I find my feet wrapped in sweat steeped into my dream, my heart beating in time with a wind-up monkey whose symbols clang, get me out, get me out, I can't breathe, I can't see how to get me out, except to awaken. Excellent poem. That was uh, Richard Westheimer reading, I, I dreamt I was a man the color of coffee. Yeah, the anxiety comes through there. Excellent. Excellent poem, Richard. Thanks for sharing it. Thanks. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Have a good night. Let's see. Um, do you, Angela Gartner. And also, if you... Um, let's see. We've got a bunch of people. Oh. I dreamt I... Hello, Angela. Yeah, shut off your video if you haven't yet. I heard it for a second. You good? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let me pull you in. And you have a great internet connection. Eric's was very, uh, if you noticed, Eric's was very uh, up and down. But you got a good, strong one. How are you doing tonight, Angela? Oh, we lost your oh, video. Okay, You're back. <laughs> Am I back? Okay. You're back, yeah, yeah. So how are you doing, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm a, a canceled baseball game, which was good. So A canceled baseball game? Due to rain, yeah. Oh, really? So they're you're still they're doing baseball somewhere? Yep. That the Ohio has decided to do baseball. So hmm. my son's in a base travel league. So we're 
doing baseball, social distancing in person. How, how does that work? Because we, I, I coach little league. Uh, my son's six, and I was going to be the a coach this year, and we canceled. And then they tried to restart, but couldn't get enough people willing to do it, including myself. I didn't want to do it because um, just the the idea of getting. Um, you know, 15, you know, six and seven year olds to, to stay apart. I don't know how, is it working? Okay. Or is it, is it manageable or not? Well, my son's like, um, I have an 11 and a 13 year old, mm-hmm. so they, they, they're pretty good, but I mean, you know, we all try, try to social distance and, and no one's wearing masks and everyone's outside. So, <sighs> you know, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it's good. Like, you know, I'm a, it's 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 a it's a good thing, even though I I'm so busy because I'm I'm trying to finish grad school that like I just wanna I, I kind of just want to go back to normal where we just staying inside so I can work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can hear that. Um, anyway, so your poem is blend right about your dream. Is there anything you want to say before you read it? Yeah, I I dream. My dreams, it's never one long dream. It's like three short dreams. And that's kind of why it's called blend. Because it's about it's about the night where I, I usually, it's either I don't dream at all or I have three short dreams all through the night. So, so and they, they kind of like fade. So it's like I, I remember and then like it goes to black for a while and then I, it comes back. So it's really odd. So this is kind of the one I had you know, a couple weeks ago. And uh-huh. I tried the adjectives and adverbs, but I don't know. We'll That's see. okay. We, yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. Whenever you're ready, go ahead. Mom and son running in a convention, cover at the door, explore, meet superhero, comic book adventure, laughter, splendid. It's done. Background blends, change direction. Home, husband and me, floor, Kissing, tingles, glee, want this, it ends, heartbreaks, background blends, change direction. Get in a van, snow on the roads, go to family dinner, no steak to order, sit at a table. We empty our plates, background blends, change direction, fade in REM. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is a very dreamlike like poem. Yeah, yeah, flitting between things. Thanks so much, Angela, for sharing that. Thank you. You have a great night. You too. Good night. Good night. Okay. We got a bunch of people calling on the phone to um, Brentopolis. We'll join him on Skype. Let's do... That's strange. I, I saw a couple, couple of people calling, but only one's listed. Hopefully... But let's do a 207 number and see who this is. I'm guessing it might be Daniel Mask or maybe Bill Ratner. Let's see. This is David. Ah, David. Uh, who am I talking to? This is Tim with Rattle. David. Uh, David Leo Sirwa. Ah, good. Good. Join us. Do you want to share a poem uh, for the open mic? I would so love to. Uh, just a one pager. Uh, do you know uh, where? Did you send it to me? Let's see, David. Uh, through email or how? I'm just calling, and I don't have Skype. Yeah, yeah. Did you send it to me over email at openmic at rattle dot com? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know about that. Uh, do you want to do that? And then I'll call you back after I call the next person so people could read along. Yep. Sure. Openmicatrattle.com? Yeah, openmicatrattle.com. Just send it over that way. And then people can read along, which is just uh, uh, improves the experience. Yeah. Okay, cool. Lovely. I'll call you right Thanks back. Thanks a million. Cheers. Yeah, sure. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Okay, uh, let's do down to Brentopolis. 
who is actually, uh, where'd it go? Um, Brent Stoffer. Let's do Brent. Brent Stoffer. So the phone is ringing. Hello, Brent. Are you here? Hello. I hear you. Uh, I don't see you yet. If you want to click on your camera yeah. button. Okay. Brent, uh, how are we doing now? There you are. Hello. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a fun night. Uh, I had a good, good, good time on this show so far. Um, so you have a yeah, me too. You have a dream poem too. Is there anything you want to say to introduce it? Um, just that um, I was watching Fellini's Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. Fell fell asleep near the end. Um, woke up a couple hours later. Watched the end of it. Then fell asleep, had this dream, and woke up and started scribbling notes. Very nice, yeah. I haven't watched that in so long. So, yeah, now I want to rewatch it. Yeah, it's been yeah. a long time. Like yeah, since... I, yeah. Um, and the other thing is, it was incredibly hard to um, not use any adjectives I, or adverbs. Yeah, yeah. There's so many words that are adjectives that you don't think about mm-hmm. until you start trying to prune them away. But anyway, it's it's kind of long, so I'll try to... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, dream after Philly. We were racing toward the gig. I was driving for some reason. The bug crammed to the gills with a band called Entropy. The amps and guitars and drums, plus a collection of elbows and knees, buzzed the alleys of Woodlawn as we descended into Avondale. Turning right between Munchies and Saturn, the bar, not the planet, a mouth to hell opened up into the street, screaming and spitting asphalt. That crater was the size of a Studebaker, then the size of an auto dealership. The bug's tires teetered on its lip as the car leaned in toward the bomb. Inside that gullet as it grew, swirled circles of boulders. Rings of rocks ground into each other. Sparks and flames leapt and rioted. The bug clung to what street was left. My hands latched onto the wheel like death. A thought flew up from the gut. What if I stared us into it? The chaos of cries and shouts faded as fear gripped my soul. In a flash, I could kill us all. Panic twisted my tongue into a root. I was stricken with guilt while pandemonium raged. I slowed us to a crawl, inching along the edge as it seethed and buckled. The drummer screamed, get us the fuck out of here. The steering wheel shook and kicked. There was no way to tell them. Did I want to die? Did I yearn to be dead? The bed, though, held me like a hand. How did I get here? You've awakened, tortled a coat and stethoscope. The band circled around and muttered spells of healing and remembering. Son, the doctor's beard intoned. It wasn't self-interest that terrified, but love and fear for your friends. You didn't kill anyone. You are forgiven. These words struck me like a revelation, and I began to float leaving the gown behind like a skin, then hover above the bed, then soar through the corridors past rooms of the sick and wounded. A soldier looked up from his wheelchair. He tapped his chest, smiled, and nodded. I was flying past a pair of eyeglasses when an arm reached out from underneath them, grabbed my wrist. I recognized my first psychiatrist. You don't deserve this, he cried, before shoving a COVID-19 swab up my nostril into the brain into some folds and crevasses where it tickled and caressed, smoothing out some of the matter. Thanks, I said. I feel much better. 
On and on my body sailed until I emerged from the hospital and onto a plain or field where a rocket ship stood in its scaffolding. The silver shone. My suit was made of linen. My sunglasses were Italian. Cameras lurked everywhere as cameramen lounged on them, smoking cigarettes. Extras mixed in the twilight. A band of clowns marched by. Marcello Mastriani appeared out of a flurry of women, taking my elbow and presenting the horizon with a sweep of his hand. You did good, he said, but we've had to stop production. We're unhooking the sun now. You should have a glass of wine. Enjoy this, the end. Evening grew up from the ground, then settled back down again. We sat together as the sky was dismantled. The sound of glasses clinking rose from the table. <laughs> that was so fun. Thanks so much for sharing that. And oh, <laughs> yeah, it was Brent Stauffer. Reminds me of uh, you know reading Bob Dylan's 149th Dream or whatever that, that poem is. Oh, Just... is that when he, he's, he lights that uh, match on the... On a parking meter. Yeah, exactly. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. really fun. It's fun to uh, hear people's dreams. Actually, I like I like this a lot. This is my favorite prompt, maybe so far. Uh, it's fun hearing what yeah. you guys are dreaming about. Um, I, I it had was a, interesting. Yeah, so long. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have dreams that long. I actually um I decided if if anybody goes to my Twitter feed, it's like at Timothy Green, which I never use. But I was trying to dr- tweet my dreams and like just just condense everything because I heard. Somebody said that um, if you write down your dream right when you wake up, you'll remember more. And I realized that that I actually, it didn't work. Like, I just dream about playing (laughs) baseball. That's basically all I do. I play baseball, like, every night. (laughs) And they didn't get any more vivid. I didn't remember anymore, so I kind of stopped doing that. And I don't don't use Twitter at all anymore. But... um, but it is cool here, and I, I wish I had dreams as vivid as, as everybody here, especially yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very when I, t- I told my therapist about it, and I said I had a home dinger. She was like, "Yeah, I think, I think you did." You definitely did. Yeah, I want to, I want to listen back to that all and, and get it all again. That was cool. And thanks so much for sharing that. All right, thanks a lot. Yeah, have a good one. Bye. Bye. Let's see. Uh, who do we have? We have. Uh, let, let's get back. Did he get? Well, Michelle Parks is here. Here's David. Yeah, let's call back David. Um, so I have some more dreams from um, Daniel Mask and, and Michelle Parks, but you haven't sent me a... Ch- David? Hey, David, it's Tim. Uh, let me pull you hey. in. Wonderful, Jeez. thank you. Yeah, and I got your... I have your uh, your uh, poem right here. David Leo Sirios. How do you say that? Sirois? Yeah. Sirois. Sirois. It's French, Sirois. Ah, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Um, and and so you. your poem is um, still a meditation on meditation. Is there anything you want to say about it before you start? Um, no, I just <laughs> want to read the... Well, I, I wrote it after reading a whole bunch of Beckett short prose. <laughs> very cool, cool. Okay, let's, let's okay. hear it. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. Still, a meditation on meditation. The dead can do it. From them I learn to be still and quiet. Still my thoughts are loud. Still I murmur in images. Still there are minuscule movements I can't control when I sit still. Gentle tremble of hands, eyes, lips, and the mind's blizzard of pointed letters. In a not-quite-forgotten, full-lotus-pose ritual, 
I begin to fill my body with an expanding soul steeped in the spirit of the whole universe's blue lotus. One turning, night unfolds the contours of her charcoal velvet blanket, and I sense my red magnetic spirit drawn toward you more than beforehand. Another movement I cannot control. My empty palms reach for the circle of light you wear around your dancer's figure across the border river. Echoes of your evening teachings, lightning on my inner night's horizon. Electric charges surge through your form, flicker in your liberated laughter, and gentle maple sugar tones to flash truths before my heart's eye. In the beginning was the word, and the word is with you still. Very nice. Thanks so much. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Thank you. I love that. These are a lot of fun. This is definitely my favorite prompt. That was David Leo Sirio, um, or Suroy, um, with yeah. uh, Still, a Meditation on a Meditation. Thanks so much for joining us and sharing that, thank, David. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, you too. I'll keep watching. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so uh, let's do, we have Michelle Parks and Caitlin Buxbaum. Let's do those last two, and then we'll call it a night. Here's Caitlin. Give her a call up. Hi, sorry. <laughs> hey, no problem at all. Here, here you are. How are you doing tonight, Caitlin? Good to see you. Uh, uh, pretty good. It's weird. Um, hold on one second. Yeah, no problem. I, mean, I had to find your poem anyway. Was it Dune? Yes, okay. and I was just uh, telling my husband to mute himself because he's playing video games <laughs> right across from me. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, super weird. 10 or 15 minutes ago, um, I was like, what's that sound? And I took, I looked out the window and it's just this huge downpour, like the most rain we've had in a long time. And it only lasted like two minutes. Oh, man. And so I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm jealous. Um, we, you know, in, in uh, Southern California, it rains like in April and then it never rains again until October and we're all on fire. <laughs> so, uh, Oof. I mean, occasionally we get a thunderstorm from the uh, monsoon, but we haven't gotten one yet. And I would love a nice rainstorm. It would be nice. We had the pollen everywhere. Um, yeah, so I'm jealous. Yeah, I thought we were going to have a bad summer for fires because we had one a few in early May and it hadn't rained a lot. Mm -hmm. But this has actually been a very normal summer. Yeah. Like well, that's good. That's good most days are like 65 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty chill. So is there anything you want to say about your poem before you read it? Dune? Is it the, the, yeah. the Herbert Dune? Um, no, just literally it's about sand dunes. Okay. Um, is cause which you might not get from the way I wrote it. I think you might just think it's like a, I don't know, a dusty hill, but, um, I actually do, I try to write down my dreams every time I have mm -hmm. them. Um, and I, I, there are times where it seems like I'll go months without really thinking about it or having one. And sometimes I'll just have super vivid ones. I mean, there are dreams that I remember from when I was a kid. Um, and yeah. So anyway, um, this one was one I wrote down some notes as soon as I woke up and wrote the poem later. And it's pretty accurate to like everything. I mean, there's italicized parts that are like thoughts and actually like had these mm -hmm. thoughts either in the dream or as soon as I woke up. So, um, yeah, kind of, I'll, I'll just, uh, leave it at that, I think, and okay. let people read into it. Okay, go ahead. All right. Dune. We had been hiking, but now it was a climb. 
the difficulty of which did not deter us. We felt the heat, the dust on our faces, sweat trickling into our smiles, like the time we traveled by ourselves. As we near the zenith, a boy approaches on a dirt bike, asks for our code names. I say, we don't have code names. Like I told that toddler, we were not who she thought we were. Only this time, it is a we sisters share over friends. The boy disappears. We complete our ascent and meet a woman standing on the ridge, dressed in layers, as if she is a jogger, as if she doesn't feel the sun, as if she'll never melt the way we do. I think she is my mother, but she is black. Her box braids, accented with gold, extend below her waist, and if I were not dreaming, I might have stared in awe at her beauty. Instead, I watch her eyebrows raise, and I know she is thinking we complicated our journey. But her pride seeps out beneath her skepticism, as if to say, thank God you finally arrived. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Then that was uh, Caitlin Buxbaum, of course, reading Dune, Dreamscape. And um, I just, I love that too. It's so cool to, it occurs to me now, maybe what we really want with poetry is just to hear each other's dreams. Like maybe that's all poetry is. <laughs> yeah, it right? is, you know, unfiltered, hearing other people's dreams is really fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Caitlin. It's always good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, have a good night. You too. Okay, let's do, uh, we'll do one last call and we'll do Michelle Parks. And it is late tonight, but... Uh, I try to end these at 7.30 my time, so we're 18 minutes past due, but this is too fun. Michelle, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hello, good to see you. How are you? Let me, let me pull you over so everyone else can see you, too. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Yeah, good. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm having a nice night tonight. Um so, so you have, uh, do you want to do the dream one? You, you sent a, oh, a poet respond thing too. Um, I accidentally did that. That oh, was okay. the one that I sent last week. And instead of, you know, being all smart and typing in open mic at rattle.com, <laughs> I just forwarded my new point, not realizing it would show up on the bottom. Ah, okay. So <laughs> I, I kind of hate to end with this point because it was really hard for me to write, even though it's so short. Mm-hmm. And you may want to play like the Mr. Rogers intro after or something just, you know, as a soul cleanser. Um, because I wrote this poem. I was a general manager in hotels for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Once and only once, luckily for me, um, I had to... Um, go in at like 6am because a guy's wife had been calling him and he wasn't answering. And that was very odd because, um, he had been with us for like six months on a training project. Right. Mm -hmm. And his wife called him every morning and he always answered. So when she called him repeatedly and he didn't answer, my auditor went up and knocked on the door. No answer. She tried to open the door, but it was locked with the deadlock and the latch part. Well, so she called me because she was worried. Mm -hmm. And if you ever need to know how to break into anywhere, call a hotel manager. (laughs) You can break into anything, yeah. Very true. One of the fun lessons on the job anyway. 
Um, but I break into his room, which means I have to undo the deadbolt and I have to flip the latch with this little screwy thing I got. And I walk in the room and I don't see him. And I'm thinking maybe he fell off the bed. And so I walk around the bed and I don't see him in the floor. And so I start to walk out. And as I'm walking out, the closet door was open. And on the inside of the closet door is a mirror. And in my head, I'm thinking, how would he have fallen off the bed? Um, like, what, how, how could anything be wrong here? Mm-hmm. There, there's nothing wrong here. There is absolutely 100% nothing at all wrong here. But I didn't see him when I walked into the room and he wasn't on the floor. And I broke into the room, so he had to be in there. And as I was walking past the closet door, the mirror there, I saw the image of him. And um, trigger warning. I should have trigger warning long before this. Sorry, that is That's totally okay. my... That's okay. Um, he had suffered from autoerotic asphyxiation. Oh, mm-hmm. And so I wrote this poem. And again, please share Skittles with the class afterwards. Okay. Okay. It's called Cold Storage. Was it self-taught loathing on knees, buckled, broken? I find you in a closet still. In my dreams, the door's unopened. Hmm. Wow. Wow, what a story. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. And that, that comes back to you in dreams? It, well, yeah. I mean, it's part of yeah. the whole PTSD life, my friend. Mm-hmm. You get all kinds of giggles. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have some, too, from working as a group home counselor uh, back before I had this job. But, uh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Michelle. That was a powerful little poem. Oh, well, thank you. I'm sorry it was so sad. No, no, it's okay. Thank you. All right. You have a good one. You, too. Bye. Bye. It was Michelle Parks reading her cold storage poem. Um, Okay. Now, uh, let's see, I have to find this again. But next week's prompt, because i got to get the kids to bed. But um, let me find next week's prompt for y'all. Ah, that's right, this will be an easy one. So um, here you go. This is next week's prompt. And that's not it? That's it. Next week's prompt, three-minute poem. Set a timer for three minutes and write until your three minutes is up. No editing afterward. You have three minutes to write a poem. And we'll see how cool people can make uh, poems in three minutes. We had an issue back, uh, rattle number 19 is a uh, tribute to the 20-minute poem, which is a workshop that uh, the former Tim Green, Stella Sue Lee, uh, used to do uh, 20-minute poem workshops. And um, But this is three minutes. So we'll see what you can come up with in three minutes. Uh, I'm looking forward to that because I write these poems like the half an hour before um, before the show starts. So um, I'm looking forward to only having to spend three minutes next week. Uh, but that is next week's prompt. I'll show it again one more time. That is the three-minute poem. Set a timer for three minutes and write until your three minutes is up. No editing afterward. So uh, good luck with that now on next week's rattlecast we are going to have 
Ron Kirchy. Rattlecast number 47. That's Tuesday, June 30th. And uh, his newest book is uh, Yellow Moving Van. But Ron Kirchy is one of the most fun poets that I know. He's also a young adult author. Um, so he has books for, for teenagers and um, makes his money that way. Also, he was a professor at a college for a while, for a long time, actually. But his most recent book of poems is Yellow Moving Van. And he's just one of the most fun poets that I know. So looking forward to his show, June 30th, next Tuesday, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Rattlecast number 47. I will see you then. Have a great night. Hope you enjoyed the show. And do click the like button if you're still watching and enjoyed it. Have a good night. Bye.